You're listening to the Happy People Podcast with Nye Armstrong. Today's guest again is Sheikh Yasser Burjas, and we're going to continue on with our Ramadan series together. And today I fielded a bunch of questions that you guys sent in, and we really delve deep into it. And I really, truly enjoyed our conversation, and it was some things I've heard before and other things. It's a new perspective. It was super informative and I mean, gosh, you can learn so much from him, mashallah. Um, but yeah, enjoy. Let's connect with happy people. Dive deep on everything. Happy people with Nye Armstrong. What's your question before we start? Okay, so <laughs> I'll read them through. Is that what you want? Yeah. All right. All right, so I, I have them in different categories. Um, we can do like just a chunk today. Okay. And then if you want, how about I just share these with you? Okay, that's good. Too. So. Whoa. Yeah, this is. Whoa. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, when I ask people if they had questions for you, this is what everybody popped up with. Where'd you get these questions from? Women just kept loading me up. And then I, I tried to put them into different categories a couple new muslim ones um connection and then women tough questions okay so we could do the new muslim and the connection one yeah bismillah none none that you don't feel comfortable answering uh bismillah go for it all right i mean give the answer don't have to can't force people to accept it (laughs) yes how practical mashallah okay so thank you so much for taking time on these last 10 nights. I know they're <laughs> filled and you have to be exhausted. Yeah, I'm sleepy too. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, my question that these sisters came to me with, uh, I'm, I put them in categories. So for this episode, we'll talk about sort of of the mindset from new Muslims mm-hmm. or um, looking into Islam. Uh, so we'll go down that path, and then next episode we'll do connection, inshallah. No. Um, what's the best advice for someone looking into Islam for the first time? Okay, so someone who's looking into Islam for the first time, what is the best advice we can give this person? Right. Well, I mean, subhanAllah, specifically under the current circumstances, uh, the first advice or the best advice I could give this person is to have an open mind. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard, it's very, very hard and difficult to be really objective and uh, keep an open mind under circumstances. Specifically, when our life is more uh, connected to the online world than the off-line world, mm-hmm. and as a result, we're exposed to things that are designed, uh, you know, mathematically. Meaning, uh, there are a lot of uh, websites over there and people and agency organizations who put so much stuff online, uh, and they flood the internet with these things so that when people make search, they always come up. So unfortunately, there is no fairness mm-hmm. really in the search engine when it comes to looking up you know, the truth about things and so forth. So the first thing I want to uh, give the, anyone who's looking into, not just into Islam, into any subject really uh, that is important to them, is to have an open mind. Mm-hmm. Meaning whatever you read, whatever you see, you need to have that critical thinking mode and, and think for yourself. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing our advice is for this person to look into uh, finding a Muslim uh, uh, friend. Maybe it could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, could be even, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if, if an online friendship is, is a good idea, but 
if you could find someone that you can relate to as a Muslim and have a conversation with them and maybe have a cup of coffee, uh, because usually the best the best uh, source of knowledge about anything is the, to have, of course, the first-hand uh, experience. Mm-hmm. So if I would like to learn something about Judaism, I'm going to go and ask a Jewish person. Yeah. Or if I'm going to need to learn more about uh, um, Christianity, whether Catholicism or otherwise, I will go and ask the person to tell me what they have, what they know about their faith. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if it's going to be about Muslims, the smartest thing is really to go and talk to a Muslim. Mm-hmm. However... We have to understand that Muslims are no different than any other culture or uh, uh, faith group. Uh, they they have the, the, the good and the bad and the ugly. They have the practicing and non-practicing. They have the devoted people, the otherwise, and so on. Yeah, every shape and size. There you go. So uh, what you need to do, again, you keep that open mind, the critical thinking, whatever you hear from the person. I mean, um, you have to investigate. Mm-hmm. You have to do it for yourself. And once again... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an individual experience uh, having this kind of uh, starting a journey uh, on the path to the truth and finding about God and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. It's a it's a very unique journey and it requires really really a, a high level of transparency and objectivity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's hard to make a decision with all the clutter that we see in the world today. Yeah, when someone first becomes Muslim, what would be like the first thing that you would want them to know about Islam or when they first look at what is like one thing that you want them to be like this I know this about Islam and I can take this with me from now on so if a person wants to become Muslim the first thing should know that they're going to get a lot of hugs at the beginning when they become Muslims. <laughs> that's the first thing <laughs> Uh, the Muslims Masha, are very passionate they love that and, and yeah they're kind of like welcoming people and so on but uh, uh, hyping up that moment uh, uh, people have to understand it doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. So the second thing they need to do is that now the journey begins. Uh, my advice always for the brothers and sisters who come to Islam is to understand that Islam, again, is a, is a journey. And when you say a journey, uh, it means that there will be a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. There will be a lot of obstacles on the way. There are good things happen in your life and, uh, and other things happen in your life. So it's a journey. Also, uh, you know, coming to Islam, uh, there's no doubt there will be a huge level of uncertainty with that move. Why? Because now you're suddenly you're required to live your life by a new system that you've adapted for yourself as a way of life. Uh, so there will be a lot of adjustment. And usually with adjustment, people, they are reluctant to change. Mm-hmm. And if they resist change too much, they might break the establishment, the new established faith. Mm-hmm. So people, they need to start learning to be a little bit flexible on taking themselves one step at a time, inshallah. I found when I be- first became Muslim, I wanted mm-hmm. to take on everything. Mm-hmm. And then I became so overburdened. Mm-hmm. It was it was too intense and too much. And then I realized now looking back, what, nine years, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, just little by little by little by little. Yeah, That's the... Yeah. It's like little breadcrumb crumbs lead you to. It's, it's and everything you have to start it this way. You know, even mm-hmm. Ramadan when Ramadan starts, a lot mm-hmm. of people. What do they do? Yeah, they jump into Ramadan with all the kind of acts of worship they can put their hands on. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, they want to spend all night praying. They want to make you know their supplications. They want to finish their Quran in one in one day. Probably, <laughs> they do a lot of that stuff. But how much can they handle from this? Yeah. 
maybe one day, two days, and then after that, that's it. It's too much. So we have to start everything gradually as well. However, my concern for specifically for the brothers and sisters who come to Islam, you know, um, you might hear from some people who keep telling you, hey, take it easy, you don't have to brush yourself, you know, this and that and so on. So specifically in matters that are very fundamental to the people when they convert to Islam. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, someone is known to the social culture of drinking, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might have wine at home, they might have uh, friends they go to and, and hang out with and drink alcohol and all the stuff and so on. So someone might ask me, I said, hey, you know, um, I don't know, what about you know drinking with friends, blah, blah, blah. Some people, they might tell them, you know, take it easy on yourself, it's okay, you're still a new Muslim, you know, right. slowly and gradually. But I've heard it from a lot of reverts and converts, really saying that was a bad advice. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these brothers and sisters, they come to Islam because they're sick and tired of these habits anyway. They just need the motivation to help them, you know, get rid of these bad habits in their lives and start mm-hmm. a fresh, you know, uh, lifestyle. But when someone comes and make, the, make the, um, their, their genuine, you know, desire for transformation suddenly mm-hmm. is being diffused. Yeah. And as a result, they just see no difference. Okay, I can still be Muslim in my heart, but I can still live my life like everybody else. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, unfortunately, they drop out yeah. because the transformation was incomplete. So, uh, yes, we don't want them to jump into doing everything altogether. But at the same time, they need to understand um, for the decision they make, there will be uh, some sacrifice needs to be made. Mm-hmm. And that sacrifice is for their own good. Yeah, uh, because you you give up on something and you will get something in return. If it's not physical or tangible, at least something spiritual, mm-hmm. growth, something which is like makes you feel so powerful that you are now able to resist something you thought that you can never really resist in your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, what path should converts follow when they want to gain knowledge? <sighs> the path to seeking knowledge is um, is endless. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. No one, no, no matter how long you stay on the path to seek knowledge or seeking knowledge, mm-hmm. you have to understand you cannot get there. It's a journey. It's a, it's a lifelong experience. You're going to have to continue going on to this path. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, our ulama, they say that uh, uh, when it comes to knowledge, seeking knowledge, um, it's just like uh, the, the, the three hand spans. When you start seeking knowledge, whether through reading books or listening to podcasts or even watching videos and stuff like that, attending even seminars. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start that journey, you start learning a few things. Yeah. These things give you the elusive feeling that you know a lot. <laughs> and as a result, they say the first hand span breeds arrogance. With little knowledge, people think they know everything and they start feeling empowered with this. So they, they speak, you know, more than they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that breeds arrogance. So when you continue learning afterwards... You get into the second span. The second span teaches you humbleness and humility. Why? Because now you realize, oh my God, there's still too much for you know to to, to gain. Oh my God, there's there's too many things to learn about this issue. So you start learning. There is more to learn about what exactly you're trying to explore. Mm-hmm. So you start learning to humble yourself. And then as you continue, because you would like to get deep into the subject, you get to the bottom of things in seeking knowledge, and the deeper you get into it. Subhanallah, the more you realize that, you know what, it, there is no boundaries for it. Yeah. And that's why they say, This is when you realize you have absolutely no knowledge yet. Right. And this is the scholar now speaking, right? Mm-hmm. You'd be someone who will be on the path for many years. But in that moment in time, you realize your knowledge is still complete, considered nothing in comparison to what it's out there to learn. 
Mm-hmm. I remember learning that, you know, the hard way as, as students. You know, mm-hmm. when we're in Medina, actually before even going to Medina University to study Shariani, um, we were young, obviously, going to the masajid, reading books, learning from this person, that person. And then when they tell us to go stand up and give a talk to the audience, I remember at 16, 17 years old, mashallah, Mm-hmm. so energetic so powerful you speak you know just like uh, no responsibility just like and then when I went to Medina and I started looking back at those talks that I gave when I was young I'm just like wow this is embarrassing yeah I've been there <laughs> <laughs> it is so embarrassing like wow no mm-hmm. wonder no wonder it was it was just an experience so mm-hmm. we learned it the hard way as we go to Medina and I remember the same experience like many other students had in their lives there uh, on the dinner table, we, we sit together in the cafeteria and we eat together as a group of students. You can tell the senior student from the freshman from the how much they talk. Mm. The more they talk, the 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 you know the younger they are. Right. And the less they talk, the senior they are in the school. And I remember when the, one of those incidents, some of those senior, uh, younger younger ones, they were discussing a certain subject in in, in uh, the, the jurisprudence and fiqh. So. Uh, um, they got stuck on a certain point as they were arguing about it. And then they look at one of the seniors who was with them on the table who was just minding his own business, eating his food. Mm-hmm. And the guy just said, you know, what do you think about it? Well, what do you have to say about it? He goes, Allahu A'lam, I don't know. And just like, what? I mean, no, seriously, what do you think? I said, I really don't know, Allahu A'lam. They told him, come on, you mean you're, you're a senior. You must have studied this and that. He says, yes, I know. I know more about it than what you guys you're talking about because I know there is more to it than what you're saying. I just know my boundaries. I can't say more about it. Not mm-hmm. yet, at least. For, when it comes to seeking knowledge, the first step anyone who's on the path to seek knowledge they need to know is that knowledge has no boundaries. So it's going to be a journey. Mm-hmm. There is no one moment in your time on that journey to say that that's it, I got it. As a matter of fact, our scholars need to teach us. The moment you said, I'm done, that's when you start going downhill. Mm. Yeah. Because there's no such thing as saying I'm done when it comes to seeking knowledge. Knowledge has, it's again a journey that you're going to have to continue throughout your life. The second thing I would suggest for them to understand is that they need to learn. They need to learn to say the word I don't know. The word Allahu A'lam in Arabic, which means the God knows best. The word I don't know is literally, uh, it's half of knowledge. Our scholars, they say half of knowledge is to say I don't know. Why? Because knowledge is one of two things. Whether you know or you know that you don't know. So it's half of it. Yeah. Knowledge is something you know or at least you know that you don't know it. So that other half, which is when you say I don't know, is half of knowledge. So you need to learn to easily say I don't know. It's an embarrassing moment when you know people expect of you to know a lot and then you just say no, I don't know. But that's an empowerment for yourself because you know your limits and you know where you are. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes also to seek, you know, the third thing I would advise them to do is look for a mentor. It's not sufficient to study on your own, especially if you're going to be learning something about um, new, your new faith and your new way of life. You need a mentor, someone who will grab you by the hand and teach you the little things slowly and gradually. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, not everybody is blessed to, have, to live in a community where they have easy access to a mentor, an imam, or a a scholarly figure or even a, a fatherly figure or motherly figure in their community. Not everybody is blessed to have that. Mm-hmm. So if we're unable to find someone like this, then at least you know, uh, go to some of the um, very popular 
trustworthy websites mm-hmm. online uh, where you could find uh, someone you know online as a mentor to teach mm-hmm. you what the, the tenet of Islam and so on. I know a lot of brothers and sisters who become Muslims and they live in remote areas. They live in small towns, they live in the hills and the mountains, whatever. And they have no access to Muslims at all. So for them, I recommend that to go to these websites. But once again, they should you know, consult a uh, few people before they make a decision on choosing one particular uh, website or person to be their mentor for the next few maybe weeks or months until they become more familiar with the culture. Yeah. Then they can move forward afterwards. Well, you teach with Al Maghrib. Yes, I do. And so would you suggest clearly to go to maybe attend some Al Maghrib classes? I definitely do so. I mean, obviously, some of these classes might be advanced to some students. Yeah. But at least the experience will be out of this world for them. Yeah, I definitely went in and I think I went with the fiqh of dua and dhikr mm. and it was like i had to use contact clues out the because i had <laughs> no idea what some words they were saying but honestly i felt like even though i probably only grasped 20 percent of what was said it was still very fulfilling no well the, you know sometimes the mentor honestly could be a colleague Hmm. doesn't have to be someone senior to you or someone much older or much more knowledgeable because yeah. for the beginner in Islam, they don't really need a lot of information. Mm-mm. They just need leads. These leads can help them, inshallah, ta'ala, confirm you know, their faith and so on. Mm-hmm. And if we want to talk about what they should be looking for, what, should be, what they should be learning first, the most important thing that they should learn is to have a sound connection between them and their creator. Mm-hmm. The sense of spirituality, the sense of connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of, lot of converts, the moment they become Muslims, uh, the community immediately puts them into a crash course. And that crash course, we focus a lot on, on rituals sometimes, like mm-hmm. how to pray and how to do this and how to do how to do that. This is all good, there's no doubt about it. But what is much more important is how to teach them how to make wudu, the, the ablution or purification act, or even how to make their salah and their prayers. What is more important than doing this is honestly is, is to teach them how to have a sound spiritual connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can I just tell you, I know I've told this to you before, but a couple years ago during Heart Softeners, you mm. did the you did sort of like a guided meditation in how to make dua. Mm. It was it literally is one of the most spiritual moments I've ever had. Like I was just crying. I was like, This is so beautiful. <laughs> um and it was like it was something that was never taught to me, mm. and it was super empowering. Alhamdulillah. I mean, I, I, I hope, inshallah, in the future we can do all these rituals that people they see, you know, that about that, that makes Islam or the Muslims who they mm-hmm. are. Hopefully, we can have an, an easy and easy kind of like step by step, you know, how to do these basic things. The yeah. thing is that for a Muslim, what is considered um, a, a spontaneous thing, you know, for a Muslim, it's it's a complex thing for a revert or a convert. Yeah. Like, I just remember, like, even though it was teaching the practicality of how to make du'a, like mm-hmm. how you sit, how you hold your hands, all these things, you were actually sort of guiding us through what you say, why you say it, what you, f- what you should feel, like those kinds of things. It was super important because before you just sort of were like, Oh, this is this is how I was brought up making prayer. So this is how I'll make prayer now. Mm-hmm. And it really was like comparing apples to bananas. Mm-hmm. Like it was totally two different things. Even though they were both fruit, mm-hmm. it was totally two different things. One was super nourishing, and the other one not as much. 
I mean, we all we all went through a transformation, you know, phase yeah. in our lives. And frankly, even myself, you know, I thought I knew a lot when I first joined the University of Medina. Mm. Like I said, there were a lot of embarrassing moments. And we're reflecting back on these moments like, wow. I wonder why people didn't slap me when I said that, for example. Mm-hmm. I wonder why no one really brought me to my, to my place when I was standing up in front of people and talking and so on. It, you know, knowledge is, is, a, is an amana, which means it's a, it's a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And because it's, it's a valuable thing, it's a tr- truly, it could be the, the key to your uh, true connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is very important for people to make sure that they take that knowledge from um, a trustworthy source. Right. The source has to be trustworthy. Uh, and obviously for a convert, they don't know any better. Yeah. So may Allah make it easy on them. All what I say is just keep an open mind. And if something feels fishy, exactly. it probably is. Have a second opinion. You know, yeah. even 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 in, in matters of uh, legal matters and health matters and whatever that is, right? When you take a uh, when you go to visit a doctor or even go to a lawyer and take an advice from them. Sometimes you know, your heart is still feeling itchy a little bit, so you're just like, you know what, I need a second opinion. You mm-hmm. go to another doctor, another lawyer, and see what they say to you. The same thing happens here as well, too. The Prophet ﷺ says in the hadith, he says, uh, uh, in the statement of the Prophet, he says, means seek guidance from your heart, even if you get the fatwa, which means the verdict from, your, from the people. Why? Because sometimes you ask people a question, and they give you the answer, maybe in their assumption, because you're convert, because you're young, because you're naive, because blah, 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 blah. So they give you an answer tailored to you in a way to make things easier for you. But you know what? Maybe this is what I want, but that's not what I need. Mm. So what you need to understand, if you feel not good about it, go and ask again. Because mm-hmm. maybe you've been given advice, not necessarily what is what you should do, what you should... They're trying to make things easy and better for you when you're supposed to be doing something different because it's more important to you. Mm-hmm. Again, people, they look for things that they need, but they sometimes are given things they just... They want. And there's a big difference between the two. Want and need are totally yeah, two absolutely. different. Absolutely. Yeah. What advice would you give to a new Muslim with a, an Islamophobic family? The best, really, advice I see is just be the best Muslim, be the best family member they can ever have in their lives. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that they need to know or they need to see, not just to know, they need to see that Islam really makes you a better person. Mm-hmm. We, most, ha- yeah. we had some incidents, unfortunately, where some people become Muslims and they turn ugly against their own families. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, cool down, brother. I mean, just a few years ago, you were in the same position. You were there on that side, on the other side, subhanAllah. Now you're acting so arrogant against your own people, your own family. That's not right. So the people, they need to have compassion towards their family. You know, just because Allah blessed you with the, with the ni'mah and the blessings of knowing the truth, you should cry for them, mm-hmm. really. And if they're, if they're being so uh, um, ugly regarding you know, uh, uh, your, your newfounded faith and your way of life and so on, I need to understand that the Prophet ﷺ, when he brought that khair to, his, to, the, to the world, the first people who stood against him, one of them was his, his uncle, mm-hmm. Abu Lahab. Oh my God, he was, he was the arch enemy of the Prophet, his nephew, going after him. When he was giving dawah and speaking to people, his uncle would go after him when he's done, and he speaks to the people, don't listen to him, this, he's insane, he's crazy, he's this, he's that, and that is his uncle. He suffered a lot from this, but still he stood his ground, and he acted in the best way with the, with the people. 
And that's what make a big difference. So my suggestion for the brothers and sisters who have been family members like that is to understand it's it's really about being a better person. They need to see that Islam literally makes you a better person. That's yeah. number one. Number two, when speaking with family members who are you know having these views about Islam and Muslims, uh, a lot of us uh, you know we feel excited and energetic to set the record right for them. Like no 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 no. Let me correct your views on Islam and Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's not the right approach because what they're going through because of what I've decided to to become and be it's causing them a lot of emotional stress so it's there's there's a lot of emotions involved in this in this kind of you know uh, part of the relationship right now and usually when the when the conflict becomes emotional the fact and the truth becomes absolutely irrelevant no one really cares if you're right or if you have the golden, you know, uh, yeah, the key or whatever, no one really cares about this. What they care about is one thing: you hurt me, make me feel better. You upset me, make me feel better. Well, it's not my fault that you are upset because I become Muslim. I understand that, but you know what? We have to also be considerate. Mm-hmm. These are your family members, these are your loved ones, and they feel concerned for you, and maybe they're acting, you know, in goodwill to bring what is best for you as well. I believe they have their good uh, good intentions. That doesn't mean what they're doing is right, though. But still, I need to make sure that I have a very good emotional impact on them. Yeah. As much as as possible. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, of course, you know, to be taken advantage of and trampled all over. No, there will be some time when you're going to have to be firm but not rude. Mm-hmm. It's a big difference. It all goes back again to that. The other thing is the most important thing we need to apply with our relatives, Muslims and non-Muslims, and everybody else in the world, is the essence of being religious. Truly, the essence of being religious is becoming spiritual. And the essence of becoming spiritual is having good manners and good akhlaq. Because the Prophet Muhammad himself, he said that, I was sent to the world to help people perfect their character, their manners. So the essence of being religious is mannerism. If if being religious is going to cause you to become rude Mm -hmm. and acting with arrogance because you know the truth and these people are are, are, are ignorant and bigots and this and that and so on, so what's the point of being religious? Mm -hmm. The whole idea of you being religious is just trying to bring that faith to them. And if you're going to be building walls between you and them, of course, because of your akhlaq and manners, that's bad. People, they bring a legitimate question. But what if they were bad to me? What if they exp- you know, express you know, bad manners and akhlaq and so on? That doesn't give, the, give you the permission to act with them in the way that they act with you. Mm-hmm. The Prophet Muhammad taught us, said, لا تكن Don't be a copycat. In أَحْسَنَ الناس أَن تُحْسِنُوا If they do good, you do good. وَإِنْ أَسَاءُ أَن تُسِيُوا And if they do bad, you do bad. Don't do that. وَلَكِنْ وَطِّنُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ He said, which means adapt. If they do good, you do good. If they do bad, avoid it. That's all. So it's all about really manners that would matter dealing with people of different views. Yeah. And so to sort of piggyback off that, what would you... What would be the best way to present Islam to non-Muslims through through their behavior and manners? Absolutely. I mean, the best thing is just be yourself. And when I say be yourself, hopefully with the, with the new faith that you adapted right now, 
is explore what does it mean to be at a higher level of spirituality and good manners and akhlaq. Yeah. Like I know a lot of my friends, you know, from a long time, who become Muslim. And they gave me their experiences with their families. Some of them, they had difficult experiences. Some they had, alhamdulillah, easy experience. But one of the brothers in particular, he said to me that, you know what, he had uh, um, a difficult time at the beginning, obviously, but eventually his family kind of accepted it. But still, every time we go there, there's always, you know, commotion. There's always someone who's just going to keep poking at the subject and so on. But he would calm down. And he told me that before he was Muslim, um, he was really bad. He was like a street kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he did horrible things. He was really, really bad. When he became Muslim, he just... I, I know, of course, I knew when he was when he became Muslim, so I haven't seen that bad side of him. Right. But he told me about it, and he's mashallah, very soft, you know, spoken person, very well mannered. His heart is is gold, subhanallah. He said one time he was visiting his family members because uh, it was it was uh, the, I think it was Christmas or something. So he was visiting the family, and one they respected the, the the elders obviously. So the grandmother was there, and uh, he said so his uncles were kind of ganging against him and all the stuff and so on. Then in a moment of, of seclusion or a moment of, of peace between him and his and grandmother alone, his grandma, she grabbed him. She told him, she goes, you stay Muslim. Mm. Says, stay Muslim, you're good. Yeah. Like, you're good like this. Because she saw from him a new, a new uh, person, new personality, new akhlaq and so on. Yeah. He told her to become Muslim, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if she did or not, but it was hard for her, obviously, to leave the path that she grew up with all her life. Mm-hmm. Nah. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember um, one of one of my family members had a lot of uh, drama when they found out that I converted. Now, when I announced it to my family, it wasn't the best. <laughs> I, I didn't have the best manners. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> they've all forgiven me. Um, but it's so interesting to say, see that same family member then say, when I was going through my divorce, she was thankful that I was Muslim because I was handling it so well. Mm. And, like, I was punching above my weight class, so to speak. And, uh, and I was just like, oh, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty spectacular for someone yeah. who was against it at first now being thankful for it. So. Well, that's the thing. I think what they see about it is the transformation. Mm. You know, um, uh, they know it from the inside out. For to see some people, they have a capacity and, and a level of, you know, of handling things differently, it must be divine. Mm. Now, this is exactly what happened with people who, when, when they believed in the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, you know, after the conquest of Mecca, when the Prophet went to Mecca and they conquered Mecca and they took Mecca back from the people of, from the Quraysh people who lived there, the Prophet, he made a very uh, um, uh, famous speech in which he went uh, up the, the hill, As-Safa, which is where it was more like the, the pulpit of the society back then. Everyone wants to make a public announcement, they go there. So many, many years prior to that moment in the life of the Prophet Muhammad, to be specific, was about maybe 18 years prior to that moment. The Prophet Muhammad was standing on that same pulpit and same hill. And he made his uh, uh, call to Islam public for the first time in Mecca after being in secret for three years. Then he came out publicly and he says, Ya Qawm, what do you say if I tell you there's an army about to invade you from behind these hills? Well, would you believe me or not? They say, absolutely, we've never experienced anything from you except good. So, well, I'm telling you, I am the messenger of God. I have this message to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, they denied him. 
And it was horrible from that moment. Mm-hmm. They were tortured. They were imprisoned. They were, you know, on boycott, you know, more. They were even expelled out of the city. Some of them were killed. It was horrible for the next 10 years. Until the Prophet managed to go to Medina, eight years later, he comes back to Mecca, standing on that spot right now. After all these, you know, what they will have to go through. So now, he, is capt- he captured the city that once tortured his, his followers, killed his beloved one, and, and, and ridiculed him and, and expelled him out of it as well. And he's about 3,000 plus people, detainees in the city right now. Mm-hmm. And he's standing above everybody right now. He's telling them, What do you think I'm going to do to you now? Now, if you look at this 1,400 years ago, uh, the conquerors usually, they destroy cities, they burn them down to ashes, they just do horrible things, right? And if the Prophet Muhammad did that at that time, no one would care about it because that's part of history. This is how it used to be back then, and no one really said anything about it. But for him, when, they, when he said that, they told him, قَالُوا أَخٌ كَرِيمٌ وَابْنُ أَخٍ كَرِيمٌ You're a good brother. When we know that you're, a good, you're going to be good to your relatives. He said, um, You're all free. No ransom, no compensation, no need to for redemption, nothing. He just gave them full amnesty. And he said, you're just all free. A lot of people, because of that, they turned back again and they became Muslims. Because for them in their mind, they've never seen anyone in their life can be so tolerant have so much, you know, how, how a big heart like this, this cannot be natural, it cannot be human, it must be divine. Mm-hmm. This level of tolerance, this level of patience, it got to be divine. So for that reason, a lot of them that came to Islam willingly. So you know what? There is no way this man looking for, for personal gain. Because if he needed personal gain, that was his moment. Yeah, to get money, power, Whatever, anything. Right? Yeah. But that was his moment. Right. But he says, you're all free, go. So he gave them back their homes, their lives, their safety, their you know the security, everything he could capture and take away from them. He gave it, keep it for them for nothing. He didn't ask anything in return. They realized this cannot be natural. This must be divine, and that's why they accepted it. So, if we would like really to help people come to Islam, the key to it is really is all about the transformation that we have in our lives. Show them that you know being a Muslim means you become a better person. That's a very unique thing. Thank you so much for this set of questions. And then um, join me next episode for Connection, inshallah. Inshallah. All right. Jazakallah.